Hello and welcome back once again to the Movie A Day podcast released through the Coffee and Heroes Network. Your host as always, Alan, owner and operator of Coffee and Heroes. So the last few weeks have been a busy few weeks. There's been a lot going on, getting the store ready, getting everything back to where we want it to be for opening. We're looking at a 12th of April for Click and Collect, which means you guys can order stuff online, get in touch with us, ask if we have things in stock. We can hold them over for you and then you can come down and, you know, pick them up. Probably have five minutes around the store. Probably not more than that, unfortunately. We're not quite back to full browsing capacity and being able to sit around and hang out and all the rest. But you'll certainly be able to have a quick look around the shelves. Everything's been cleaned. Everything's been sanitized. We'll have gloves available and sanitizing solution for your hands. We'll do everything we can to make sure that people feel safe coming down to the store. So as I've been doing that, I haven't really been able to have themes for a lot of my weeks. I've been sort of flicking the channels on the TV and just picking up random movies. So I couldn't really guarantee what movies I was going to watch. So we've got a real random assortment of uh, movies for you this week. We've got horror, we've got thrillers, we've got all sorts in here. So hopefully you guys will enjoy. So what we're hitting here is week 10 of the Movie A Day podcast. And the first movie that is up this week is Drive from 2011. There's a hundred thousand streets in this city. You don't need to know the route. You give me a time and a place. I give you a five minute window. Anything happens in that five minutes and I'm yours, no matter what. Anything happens a minute either side of that and you're on your own. Do you understand? So first up with Drive... This is the kind of movie that I've, I've talked about before, about finding fan-made posters and so forth. And this is one that you will find an endless stream of movies, you know. In the last sort of decade, I don't think there's been a movie anywhere near as stylish and influential in pop culture design than Drive. You know, from a pure aesthetic standpoint, it's an absolute masterpiece. Fortunately, it also has the performances and a streamlined old-school storyline to back up the style with some stub- substance. Fortunately, it also has the performances and a streamlined old-school storyline to back up the style with some substance. It's all just so effortlessly cool. First up, the performances of Ryan Gosling, Brian Cranston, and perhaps best of all, Mel Brooks, completely cast against type and a completely different role to what we're used to seeing from a primarily comedic actor. The next mention goes to the soundtrack, which has been so influential. You know, outside of Tarantino soundtracks, I would say this has been one of the, the biggest soundtracks of the last 10, 20, 30 years. Nicholas Winding Rem's direction is superb. You know, from flashes of brutal violence to beautifully choreographed car chases to the slow building of tension. Everything is note perfect and it just washes over you as you watch it. What I also think is great about Drive is that it could have succeeded just as much by following any of the plot thread. You know, it could have been a sports movie about a driver's NASCAR career. You think about how Brian Cranston's trying to put together this team with Mel Brooks so that Ryan Gosling's character can be the driver. It could have been one heist after another as his driving skills were showcased. It could have been a simple romantic movie where the protagonist has a dark secret. Instead, they made a realistic superhero movie with the driver being indestructible in protecting a woman, the excellent Carrie Mulligan, and her son. Also keep an eye out for Oscar Isaac in a small but noteworthy role. Any justice in this would have been sniffing around the Oscars, but they don't tend to reward movies that have the main character stomping a man's head into pulp, but they should do. 10 out of 10. Next up, we have Eight-Legged Freaks, 2002. Take these, you'll need them. Perfume? 
Well, spiders have a highly developed sense of smell. The perfume might confuse them. Great. If we die, at least we die smelling nice. I did say I couldn't always control the quality of the titles over this week and I may end up just watching really random stuff. Eight-Legged Freaks is a B-movie from a time where some Hollywood producers thought they could make a star out of David Arquette following his popular return as Dewey from the Scream series. He was also not around this time he was featuring on WCW, randomly becoming WCW champion, which kind of sounded the death knell for WCW as well in terms of credibility. But how wrong these producers were. This is a terrible movie. Uh, It's got pretty awful special effects, it's got zero humour. You know, if it had had some good comic relief and some witty one-liners, then it could have been a great pizza and six-pack kind of movie. But it falls into every movie stereotype, even down to the smart kid who conveniently knows everything about spiders. There's pretty much nothing to recommend here, and to think Scarlett Johansson somehow survived this train wreck to go on and become a movie star, that in itself is actually a miracle. 2 out of 10. Next up, we have The Departed from 2006. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. Years ago we had the church. That was only a way of saying we had each other. The Knights of Columbus were real headbreakers, true guineas. They took over their piece of the city. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. May he rest in peace. This is otherwise known as the movie that finally got Martin Scorsese his long-deserved Oscar. Does that mean that it's his best movie? In my opinion, not by a long shot. As good as The Departed is, and it really is a cracking movie, it's not a patch on Raging Bull, Taxi Driver or Goodfellas. It's just that the Academy usually have a way of fixing their mistakes. Again, that's not to say that The Departed is not a great movie. It's one of Scorsese's most accessible movies, with a straightforward plot, which even Scorsese himself has said this is the only movie that he's ever directed that had a plot. It has great characters and plenty of tension. The plot is quite simple. The mob have an undercover in the Boston Police, and the Boston PD have an undercover in the mob. Slowly, they both start to figure this out, and the race is on to see who is discovered first. The cast assembled for this movie is nothing short of stunning. Leonardo DiCaprio continued his hot streak working with Scorsese, and he continues to do so, and I would argue some of his absolute best work came in The Wolf of Wall Street. Matt Damon is cast against type as the bad guy infiltrating the police. Martin Sheen is great as the man in charge of the undercover cops, with Mark Wahlberg providing some of the best laughs as his partner. Alec Baldwin plays a small, but pivotal role. Ray Winstone takes an awesome mob enforcer and actually gives him some character. Vera Farmiga plays a psychiatrist with split loyalties. But this is a show that belongs to Jack Nicholson. He plays the head of the mob, Frank Costello, and has such a ball creating a larger-than-life, coke-snorting, dildo-wearing, frightening man. Nicholson is the one element that, for me, is an improvement on the Asian original movie, which was called Infernal Affairs. That movie is around an hour shorter, much more streamlined and tense, and I would argue has a slightly more satisfying conclusion that led to two very good sequels. Nevertheless, essential viewing, I should say especially for those who can't deal with subtitles of a foreign movie, 9 out of 10. Next up, Con Air, 1997. Put the bunny back in the box. Do you remember a time where Nicolas Cage was a bona fide action star and he just made great movie after great movie? Jerry Bruckheimer pumped out fare like Bad Boys, The Rock, Con Air and Armageddon before pumping out endless cop shows on TV, where characters like Cyrus the Virus, Diamond Dog and Cameron Poe existed. 
I promise this was a real time. It was the 90s, and these movies ruled the box office. Before The Matrix, Hobbits, Harry Potter, and superheroes came along, it was arguably a much simpler time. The good guys were very good, the bad guys were very bad. There was no grey area, and endless shots of helicopters flying at sunset. Michael Bay even made great movies before selling out with the Transformers movies. Con Air is the absolute epitome of that time, and it still stands strong today. It has a great cast. You think of Nicolas Cage, John Malkovich, John Cusack, Ving Rhames, Steve Buscemi, Danny Trejo. A ridiculously over-the-top storyline, and some genuinely exciting action scenes and stunt work. Cameron Poe is the main character of this one, Nicolas Cage taking on the role of an army ranger who kills a guy in self-defence. Because he is trained as a deadly weapon, he is subject to stronger laws and sent to jail for eight years. He's never met his daughter, and his beautiful southern wife is waiting for him. On the day of his release, he has put on a transport plane with guys who, quote, like to brag they've killed more men than cancer. Talk about choosing the wrong flight. When these inmates take over the plane, Poe takes it upon himself to, quote, save the fucking day. Logic goes out the movie with windows like this, but it is the pure definition of a popcorn movie. Tremendously entertaining, witty one-liners, over-the-top performances. I would argue they don't really make movies like this anymore. Now, all together, put the bunny back in the box. 9 out of 10. Next up, Ocean's Eleven, 2001. You know what your problem is? I only have one. Long before he was the king of Hollywood, George Clooney was just a great actor making varied and effortlessly cool movies. You know, think of From Dusk Till Dawn, Out of Sight, and then came Ocean's Eleven. Of all the movies he did, this is the one that set him on the path to superstardom. Amassing a cast of stars to rival the bright lights of Vegas, Steven Soderbergh delivered an update on an old Rat Pack movie from the 60s. The basic premise? A con man puts together a team of specialists for a high-profile robbery of a Las Vegas casino. That's it. Very straightforward. Minimal plot. Very old school. A movie like this is dependent upon the charisma and charm of the lead characters. And when you have George Clooney, Brad Pitt, and Matt Damon headlining, that is not something you need to worry about. But you can add in a brilliant cast here with up-and-comers such as Casey Affleck and Scott Kahn, old-timers such as Carl Reiner, Elliot Gould and Andy Garcia, and the obligatory eye candy and Julia Roberts, and you've pretty much got the perfect cast. Ocean's Eleven was a big critical and commercial hit, and rightly so. It remembered a time where we went to the movies for escapism, to see characters do things that we would never consider in our everyday life, and for it to be downright entertaining, with a wink and a nod to the audience. Now, if only they had left it alone as a single great movie. 8 out of 10. But of course, money is money in Hollywood, and they couldn't leave it alone. Next up, Ocean's 12 from 2004. Do I look 50 to you? Yeah. Really? Well, I mean, you know, only from the neck up. Clearly for Ocean's 12, brackets, or George Clooney and his pals fancy travelling around Europe for a few months, it was a big disappointment. You know, I remember feeling that way when it hit theatres back in 2004, and having not really seen it since, it was a feeling that returned with a second viewing. The setup for the sequel is actually quite interesting and clever. Having had $160 million stolen from his casino in the first movie, Terry Benedict wants it back. He tracks down all the members of Ocean's Eleven and tells them that they need to pay him back with interest within a set period of time. I like this as usually when people get away with heists in movies, there's no consequences. Unfortunately, that is as clever as the movie gets. 
The rest of it is made up with arguing and bitching over who's cooler and should be the leader. A frankly embarrassing attempt at a meta moment by trying to pass off a character as a lookalike for the actress that plays her. And a non-event of a heist at the end that simply involved staging a fight on a train and switching a couple of bags over. For me, what made Ocean's Eleven so good was its simplicity. Other than Danny's past with Tess, the rest of the movie was about as deep as a puddle. But that didn't matter, it was all about a good time at the movies. Here we have Rusty's past, a new female love interest from the right side of the law, rival criminals, master criminals from the past. It's as if they are trying to set up a mythology for this universe and it just doesn't work. Again, for me, whereas the first movie comes off as cool and effortless, this one just comes off as smug and trying too hard. And they clearly forgot the entertainment. 3 out of 10. And we finish off the week with American Pie 2 from 2001. That counted. That totally counted. That's the way you kiss your mother. Don't you say anything. Comedy sequels for me tend to fall into a few different categories. There's the cheap cash-in based on an existing brand. See Van Wilder, all the American Pie straight-to-video movies. Unsatisfying sequels which try to replicate what made the original great but fail. Think of The Hangover. And finally there are true sequels which realise that it's the characters that are endearing and the chemistry between them that makes these movies funny and enjoyable to watch. A good comedy should be like catching up with old friends. And after American Pie proved to be such a hit, the filmmakers did not take long in reintroducing us to the Stiffmeister and co. The plot again is pretty thin. The guys rent the summer house and spend their time trying to hook up with women, perv at lesbians and figure out how to move on from their high school days. Clearly realising that none of them have moved on from their high school days. There's an extra helping of Jim's embarrassing dad and another good payoff with Stifler's mom. Movies like this are never going to change the world, but that doesn't mean they are easy to get right. Good night in all round. 7 out of 10. So that's going to do it for week 10 of a Movie A Day podcast. I'll be back again next week, again with a random assortment, I think, until I hit the uh, the inevitable superhero curve, which I'm planning in the future. Going to work through all those Marvel movies, got to work through the DC ones. But until next time, guys, hope you're staying safe out there. Thanks for joining. Mm-hmm.